Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Just before we start the service, here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of worshiping online, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com, click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like a business reply offering envelope sent to you, please contact the church office. You're invited to be at the heart of the action. In September, Pastor Neil will launch part two of his message series on the Gospel of Mark, titled All Things New. With this new series, three types of group life will also be launched, growth groups, prayer groups, and at-home worship. Experience your own spiritual blessing by facilitating or hosting one of these groups, either in person or by Zoom. To sign up or learn more, contact Barbara Waite. On Saturday, September 12th at 5.30 p.m., we will have an outdoor worship service on the front lawn at Stonebridge. Join us for worship, a message, and some fellowship, six feet apart, of course. You will need to register ahead of time, so check your newsletter or visit our website for more information. Stonebridge has a job opening for a student and family ministries director. This is a part-time position, and the job description and employment application can be found online on our website. Please share with others to help spread the word. On Sunday, August 30th, our Presbytery is hosting an open conversation where there will be an opportunity to explore a Christian response to racial tension. There will be a time of listening, a time of asking questions, and a time for worship. For more information, check your newsletter or contact the church office. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. In our world, in our country, in our city, we're living in a moment unlike any other. People are scared, dismissive, frustrated, cynical. They're full of uncertainty, fear, helplessness, sadness. We are all in a moment that feels complex and confusing and unsure. But what if the hope of Jesus can be carried into our broken world by those who love him? What if it's our chance to listen without judging, to pray without ceasing, and to love without limits? What if it's our chance to tell the story of the cross and to proclaim the glory of the stone rolled away? This is when the church becomes the people, not the building. And when we become carriers of hope, this is when grace and peace are offered to all. 
and when the faithfulness of God is on display. Christ in us, Christ through us, for the sake of the world. Carry the hope of Jesus. you
Hi, Stonebridge. Today our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. of this world I will lay them at your feet Surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace Your perfect peace 
will choose to trust your name in everything. In
Hello, Stonebridge. Does anybody feel like you're at the end of your rope? Oh, I know I have a few times lately. And when we see the headlines, unemploy, unemployment in the millions, and we know that hundreds of thousands of people have died or have lost loved ones to this virus, and schools are back in session, and all of the challenges that that brings to students and parents and teachers and administrators. The principal of my wife's school, where she works, said that last week he had set up 33 Zoom calls, not for himself, for his two kindergartners and one first grader. Oh my gosh. And then, of course, you add his and his wife's, and wow, there's so much. We're overwhelmed. We're barely hanging on uh, when nothing else matters but solving a problem or relieving pain or paying a bill. That's at the end of our rope. And in the midst of that, Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. There's a song whose chorus says, He hasn't failed me yet. And I think we can proclaim that. What does it mean for you to be at the end of your rope? For some, it's reputation, dignity, concerns about tomorrow. And all those things go out the window. Yet in those moments when others may let us down or doctors may have no solutions for us, foreclosures may be imminent, or just our Wi-Fi has crashed for one more time, Jesus is here. And he doesn't shame us. He doesn't call us names. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. We don't know how he will come through, but he will. We don't know if it's through a friend or a loved one or a moratorium on evictions or dinner delivered by friends wearing masks or maybe a genuine miracle. But he hasn't failed us yet. This is a powerful message that we find in a story, actually two stories combined together in the Gospel of Mark that we're going to look at today. It is a crazy, noisy, pushy, chaotic story full of ups and downs and surprises and disappointments and elation. It's a story within a story. It's about a woman, woman who has no voice in the community because of a medical condition that she has and a second woman who has no voice in the community because of her age. It's about the desperation of the single woman, so great that the stares and rebukes of her neighbors, they don't matter anymore. And it's the story of the desperation of that other woman, the young girl's father, that's so great that ridicule and rejection by his peers and leaders mean nothing to him. It's the story of people at the end of their rope. And it's a story of people planting mustard seeds of faith and seeing them grow with life-changing and life-saving impact. And it all starts with a crowd. It was a crowd like this one in Jerusalem. I was in a crowd just like this. 
And of course, the story we're reading says that it was a crowd uh, at the Sea of Side of the Sea of Galilee, not in the city of Jerusalem. But I'm telling you, this is what crowds are like in Jerusalem. And uh, it was crazy and loud, and I could barely hear myself, much less somebody else trying to talk to me. But we don't have to go to Jerusalem to find a crowd. In fact, I'll bet you have been in this crowd. Most of us have been in this crowd. Do you recognize Main Street, USA at Disneyland? Now imagine that crowd at Disneyland is there because of one person. One person's going to show up, some celebrity, a, a, a man or a woman, and they show up and all those people are there for them. And in our story, the famous person is Jesus. Now, all of those people, thousands of them, they want to get close to Jesus. They want to see Jesus. But two of the characters in our story don't want to just get close to him, don't want to just see him. One of them wants to touch him. And one of them wants to compel him to come home with him, to heal his daughter. We will come to him in a little bit. But first, let's take a closer look at the story of the woman who wants to touch Jesus' clothes and be healed. She's at the end of a rope. For 12 years, she's had a medical condition that doctors can't heal but are happy to take her money for. She's been shut out of her community life because of this medical condition. And it's left her shunned from her religious faith. We don't really have an equivalent situation in our society for the same kind of thing that she was going through, except maybe right now when we hear about people who are test positive for COVID and we are told that they need to let others know about it and to stay away from everyone and to self-quarantine. That was this lady's situation. She was desperate to be healed. She believed what she had heard about Jesus healing others. And she wanted to see him. She wanted to touch his garment, but she was afraid. She wasn't allowed to get close to him. And for her, this crowd was a blessing because she could hide in the crowd and sneak up, wind her way up to him and just reach out and touch just the edge of the garment that he was wearing, the cloak, and, and then disappear back into the crowd. Just let the wave of people pass her by. But that wasn't going to happen. At the end of a rope, Jesus was there. He stopped and asked, who touched me? Let's go back to the picture of Disneyland for a minute. Would you agree that his disciples could be forgiven for having a surprised, even sarcastic reaction to his question? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? We can understand their reaction. But if we aren't careful, we are at risk of repeating their reaction in our day. Today we have millions of people unemployed, hundreds of thousands who have died or lost loved ones, thousands of protesters with press coverage, praising them and condemning them. It's overwhelming. And when we hear of one person in need, one person concerned about justice or freedom of speech or safety, we are tempted to throw up our hands and say, 
You see all the people, you see everything going on, and you want us to be concerned about one person? Yes. Jesus' answer then and now is yes. One person needed him, and he wanted to know who it was. This woman wasn't just being inappropriate or socially awkward. She was hindering the forward progress of that crowd. And they were going somewhere. After all, Jesus was heading to somebody's home to do real work, to heal a young girl with an important father at his side, urging him forward. Jesus didn't have time for one person, but Jesus stopped for the one. He engaged the one and listened to the one. He didn't shun her. He identified with her. Jesus said to her, daughter. He didn't shame her. He affirmed her. Your faith has healed you. He didn't deny her genuine need. He offered hope. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Are we so busy trying to get Jesus to conform to our agendas that we may not be following his agenda? Last week, we talked about intentionally planting mustard seeds of faith. If you want to see what that looks like, just look at this woman's reaction. Out of desperation, she took a step towards Jesus. She planted a seed. It has been growing for 2,000 years, and we're still talking about that seed that has grown. We're still talking about it today. What would it look like for us to plant a mustard seed of faith? Perhaps it might look like this woman turning to Jesus, even if others don't understand, even if it slows us down. She went to Jesus out of desperation for her own need. Some of us may need to do the same thing, to go to Jesus for a need of our own. Her story is wrapped inside this second story. This is a story of someone who went to Jesus out of desperation for someone else. And just before we go to that part of the message, I'm going to pause for a moment and give you time to reflect on two things. First, is there something in your life that you want to bring to Jesus? Something holding you back, hurting you, slowing you down, something you need out of your life, the way that woman needed her medical condition out of her life. Take a moment, perhaps with your eyes closed, and hold that one need up in one hand and reach out your hand to touch Jesus' cloak with the other, to seek healing in your own life. And secondly, is there someone you are desperate for? Someone you've done all you can for, and now you need to ask Jesus, maybe for the thousandth time, to heal them. We turn in a moment to that part of the story. For now, reflect, listen, and pray. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? Take away all my sadness 
troubles, that's what you do. There are two key people who move this story along, two women. The first is a woman who has suffered with a debilitating medical condition for 12 years. The second is a young girl suffering on the verge of death, and she's only lived 12 years. Interestingly, we are not told either of their names. Uh, I think not because they are nameless, but because Jesus doesn't want to call them out. But the main character in the story is a man named Jairus. It is his engagement with Jesus that drives this story forward, first uh, from the crowd, then to the lady, and then to his own home with his daughter and inside. Jairus was the leader of a synagogue. We don't have a similar position in the church today, but if we did, it would be like a senior pastor without the pastor part. It would be the person who leads the organization, who runs the synagogue or the church. Uh, that person recruits volunteers and leads the organization, gives vision. Uh, it was a prestigious position in the community and in all of Israel. He had peers at other synagogues spread all around the country. And I am sure that they had their version of conventions where they would all gather and uh, they would compare notes and share ideas and worship the Lord. And in all cases and in all circumstances, they would denounce that interloper, that rabbi from Nazareth. Because, except for one fellow named Nicodemus, all of them rejected Jesus. And here's this man, one of them, coming to Jesus in a crowd. You remember this crowd? In the middle of a crowd like this, this synagogue leader, Jairus, planted a mustard seed of faith. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived and live. In that moment, nothing else mattered to Jairus but the life of his daughter. We can relate. At the end of the day, we love our kids, our families, more than our careers, don't we? More than our reputations, more than anything. 
Amazingly, even though this entire crowd had come to see Jesus, Jesus didn't take the opportunity to preach or teach. Immediately, we read, so Jesus went with him, went with Jairus. And that could have been the end of Jairus' story. Really, if it ended there, it would be a fairly heroic story. A respected leader humbles himself before a disrespected challenger, and the crowd goes wild. Cue the music, roll credits. But that's not what happened. A genuine transformation needed to take place. A genuine, appropriate humbling of this proud, successful, respected man. First, as he's pushing and pulling at the crowd, trying desperately to get this healer to head towards the direction of his home, Jesus stops and insists on talking with this woman. She should have known better. She wasn't even supposed to be there in the crowd. She was supposed to be outside the group and not interrupt the forward progress that Jairus needed Jesus to make. And he realized, this civic leader, that he can't force Jesus. His humbling continues. But eventually, Jesus turns and follows Jairus, who maybe now is rushing just a little bit more, until his heart fills with dread and his eyes with tears as he sees friends of his heading in his direction. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Perhaps he stopped in his tracks. Perhaps he wept openly. One thing we know for sure, Jairus was at the end of his rope. There was nothing else he could do. And then... Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. If finding and begging Jesus earlier had been a mustard seed moment for Jairus, this was the moment he gave that mustard seed of faith everything he had. He gave over it it completely. He had tried the old ways. He'd used his power and his position, his own understanding, and none of it had helped. He could have said, well, I did my best, and call it a day. Instead, this was when he tamped down the dirt on that seed and gave over his future, his hope, his daughter, to whatever would grow. Earlier, he appealed to Rabbi Jesus, in spite of what his peers or anyone else thought. Now he came to rely on Messiah Jesus and to do what he needed to do on behalf of someone else, someone else he loved. We know the story. Jesus came, he faced another crowd of people who were um, indifferent and then laughing at him when he said that she wasn't dead, she was only asleep. They mocked him, and then he and his friends went in, and he raised that girl from the dead. The question for us today is, is there a mustard seed moment we need to have on behalf of someone else, someone we love? Are we willing to humble ourselves, to put someone else first, 
to go out of our way, to learn something new, to let go of an old habit, to try something different, to follow Jesus where he leads on behalf of someone we love and care about? Now, look at me for a moment. Some of us need a wake-up call. Jairus was likely a person like that. But others among us have tried everything. Pastors, preachers, and churches have heaped spiritual abuse on too many people by saying, just believe, try harder, trust God, when what you need to do is get out, to let go, to put the burden of responsibility on the shoulders of the person on which it belongs. For those of us in that situation, it's the earlier part of the story that we need to listen to. The part about the woman who's at the end of her rope and had come to Jesus on her own behalf. His response was love and care and concern and healing and hope. There's no shame or embarrassment or guilt in that story. If you're feeling any of that, that's not the Jesus part of this story. Hold on to that. You don't have to fit yourself into the gyrus part of this story. It doesn't apply to all of us, all of us, but it applies to me. It applies to some of us. For some of us, we need that wake-up call. There are things we can and need to address in ourselves for the sake of others. I don't know what your situation is. I'm not about to start naming issues like throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping I hit yours. All I can do is tell you mine. I needed to read this book. It's called Humility by Andrew Murray. I had a friend uh, give me an honest appraisal of the man that I was when we first met. He said I was a real jerk. And he was right. I needed to read that book and others and work on humility. And I needed to read this book. It's called Crucial Conversations. I needed to know how to not just get angry and defensive, but to have helpful, supportive conversations when the stakes were high and emotions were strong and there was a difference of opinion. I've got plenty of other examples in my life. How much time have you got? But in each case, there were people that I cared about and that needed me to change, that needed me to seek Jesus when it wasn't easy, when it wasn't for me, when it was on behalf of people that I care about, that I love. I don't know you, but I know me. And I know that all of us have daughters and sons and husbands and wives and friends and neighbors who need us to let go of our egos and our reputations and our knee-jerk reactions and our sense that we've got it all figured out in order to bring Jesus to them in ways they need it. That's what Jairus did. And Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. Now, we have not seen that actually literally happen ever since. 
but a lot of us have people who Jesus could raise if only we will seek him out, be willing to change, and believe. May it be so. Amen. for
May the good Father prepare you for your journey. May Jesus the Son guide your footsteps. May God's Spirit strengthen you. And may the three-in-one watch over you as you faithfully seek to set aside yourself in order to serve God's kingdom. Go in peace. Thank you.